Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you see the holy spirit some of his roles the way that he functions in our midst today this is one of the things he does this is what is committed to his care is to urge you to plead with you to lead you to beseech you to appeal to you to come and to join christ Right To be the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of, the one who calls alongside of, come out of your old life. Stop living in sin. You don't have to be destroyed by that lifestyle any longer. God has something better for you, and the Holy Spirit invites you into that place to come and join Jesus. Paul is doing the same thing here, saying, I'm begging you, please come join me. You don't have to live that way any longer. I beseech you, therefore... Now, there's this saying all the time, many, 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 many Bible teachers say, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what? What it is there for, right? And this is truth. There's truth to this, right? Why is that there? Again, in the first 11 chapters, the first 315 verses of this epistle, Paul has been focusing on issues of doctrine, building a good doctrinal foundation. And here, in verse 1 of chapter 12, there's a shift from an emphasis on doctrine to practice. There's a shift from, okay, this is what it means to know the Lord, to now, this is how I live it out, right? So that's why there's this shift here. There's that therefore, okay? Because I've presented all of these truths in the first 11 chapters, the first 315 verses, because now you have an understanding of what God wants from you, now this is how it should change the way you live. Every good Bible preacher will always give that application because the power is not in the knowing, the power is in the doing. So here Paul says, I'm begging you, therefore, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God, the compassion of God, quite literally, in the Greek. And we saw this a few weeks ago. Look at this verse. I want to remind you, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, speaking of the compassion of the Lord. When he saw the crowd speaking of Jesus... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. His heart grieved for the people who were lost in their sinful state because they didn't know which way to go spiritually, because they didn't have clear direction, because they had no real purpose. And so Jesus' heart broke for them. The scripture says of Jesus, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's where his compassion led him. Do you know what God's compassion has done for those of us who understand the gospel today? This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, for God, 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He showed us, he revealed truth to us. That is God's mercy that has done that. It's not because you're so intelligent. The only reason why the scales have been removed from your eyes is because God has removed them. And that's according to his compassion and his mercy. So Paul says, because you understand the compassion, the mercies of God, because you understand this doctrine, these teachings, right? What teachings is he referencing? Throughout the first 11 chapters, that word therefore has popped up over and over and over again. And each time that word therefore pops up, it's to reference, it's to wrap up the previous section, right? And so first thing I want you to see from the first 11 chapters of Romans is that man's condition is that of condemnation. Paul spends most of the first three chapters laying this foundation. He says, people have gotten to a point to where they are worshiping the creature rather than the creator. He says in the first three chapters that even the Israelites, even those of you who are Jews, you've been trusting in the works of the flesh. You believe that by keeping the law, you can be made right. You believe that because you're circumcised, that you're right in the eyes of God. That can't be. And then he says in Romans chapter 3, for there is none righteous, not a single one of us. All of us is turned after our own ways. None of us really seek after the Lord. Then in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he says this. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. See, he lays this foundation that man is in sin. We are condemned by our sinfulness, and the law will never save us. Because you now see that you're a sinner and you shouldn't trust in the law, you have to see that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. He goes on, he continues to build his case. He says this in Romans 5 1. He says again, therefore, again, referencing what he just said in chapter 4, in the end of chapter 3. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the mercy of God we see here? It sees that God's mercy is what leads us to justification. See, in chapter 4, he gives this amazing account of how Abraham wasn't justified because of circumcision. Abraham wasn't justified because of the law. Abraham was justified before the law and circumcision was even given. Therefore, he has to have been justified by something different. He's justified because he believed in the promises of God. And then he says this, therefore, since we understand that Abraham was justified by faith, you need to understand that therefore we also have been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he's building these layers. We're all sinners. The law can't save us. We have to have faith. What does he say in Romans chapter 8 verse 1? Verses 1 and 2, he says this, there is therefore, again, there's that word again, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. So we see here that there's this other layer, this other foundation that is being laid, that God's role is a role of liberation, to set you free. And what Paul has just gotten finished speaking on in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 is that we're bound by the law until one of us dies. Either the law has to die or you have to die. And guess which one has to die? It's you. It's me. 
But then he says this in Romans chapter 7. A man is bound or a woman is bound to her husband only as long as the husband is alive. But when the husband dies, she's free now to marry another. If you have died with Christ, you're no longer bound to the law. You no longer have to be attached to the law. Now you're free to love another. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You're not sentenced to death. You've been set free. There's freedom, liberation in Christ. Do you see how he's building these layers? So Paul gets to this point. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of everything that I've taught to you, because of everything you've come to know, because of all of the doctrine that I've laid out, that you now come to God and you offer yourself at an altar. It's a living sacrifice. Now, parenthetically, before we go on and we tear the rest of this verse apart, it's important, and I want you to hear this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. That there is a storm that is coming. And I can't tell you exactly when the storm will arrive, but I can tell you it's on the way. I believe it is at the door. And if the scripture, if I truly believe the scripture, and if I see what's happening in the world and how those events line up with the scripture, I have to see that, Lord, your return is soon. And I've got to be ready. It's important in your life today, just like Paul here is saying, because of everything I've taught you, it should change the way you live. It's important for you today to understand because of everything you know about Christ, because of all of God's word that you have in you, that you need to be ready. It changes the way that you live. You have to focus now on some sort of foundation that you can build, a foundational construction. Why? Because a storm is coming. When it rains around here, it's crazy, isn't it? And I live out in the country, so it was just like a muddy mess. We had a lake out at our house. You know, it's on the old Hofer Ranch, so I call it Hofer Lake. There's like a lake out there. You guys can bring your jet skis out next time it rains if you want, right? I mean, it's crazy, but I hear, I, I look at the news, I check my app on my phone. It says that there's a chance of rain. And when it says 100% chance of rain, I think that's a pretty good chance of rain. So what did I do? I went out and I got things ready. I covered my barbecues. I cleaned out the gutters. I cleaned out the floor drains. I wanted to cover up some firewood so that it wouldn't get wet and we could keep the fireplace going. I went out and I prepared my home because a storm was coming. My fear for the church is that many of us have not been preparing our home for the coming storm. Let me remind you Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. There are two types of people in the world. There's the wise man, and there's the foolish man. The wise man is the one who hears, understands God's word, but then he does something more with God's word than the foolish man does. He takes that, he puts it into practice, he lives it out, he applies the word. 
See, there's a knowledge, which is understanding, an intellectual understanding. Many of you intellectually understand what the gospel says, what the word says. Many of you understand it, but wisdom is when you choose to apply that knowledge in your life. You put that knowledge to work. Now, Jesus says the one who puts the knowledge to work, the one who actually walks it out, lives it out, that's the one that when the storm comes, he's going to be able to stand. His house will not fall. But the one who's been hearing the word all of this time but fails to apply it, fails to put it into practice in life, you shouldn't feel very secure because the storm is coming. You notice in this text The wise man and the foolish man, they were both subjected to the same storm. The wind, the flood, and the rain. Both subjected to the same flood. But there was one man whose house withstood that flood, withstood that storm. I want us to be the people who withstand the storm. Let me remind you what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, When asked by his disciples, what's it going to be like when you return? What will it be like? What should we be looking for? This is what he says. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars, and you'll hear of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, or literally race will rise against race and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And listen to this. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But... The one who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all of the world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. This is what Jesus says it will be like. And so Jesus says this is what it will be like before he returns. We need to be watching the world scene. How does this fit into place? I understand these things, and if this is that close, if the storm is really coming, I need to make sure my house is ready. I need to batten down the hatches. I need to make sure that when the floods come, that we're ready to withstand the floods. And my fear, more than any fear, is that we will not have prepared the church for the storm that is coming. My friends, are you ready for the storm? This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that when they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and will have you recline at a table. And he will come and he will serve you. And if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let the house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are you ready? I'm begging you, therefore, 
brothers, by the mercies of God, by this doctrinal truth, by this knowledge that we have of Christ, I'm begging you to change the way you live. I'm begging you. You see in the scripture, you should identify the signs. You should know the things that are coming. You should see that the end is near. I'm begging you, therefore, brothers, because of this foundation that should be laid, that you now live a life that is ready for the return. Make sure that you're dressed and ready for his return. Again, parenthetically speaking, just as the Apostle Paul would say, I'm begging you because of what you know of Christ to live for him or to give for him or to sacrifice for him, I'm saying the same thing to you today. I'm begging you because of what we see in the scripture, that long series we just went through of all of those end times that are unfolding, that you now take what you know and it changes the way you live and what you're living for, who you're living for. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. We have this shift now at that word, therefore, again, from doctrinal teachings to now practical teachings. You have to see now that Paul is going to come into the next portion of this epistle. What we hear from now on out is this practical application that you have to apply in your life. Again, the Apostle James says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. If you're hearers only and not doers, you're just deceiving yourselves. You're fooling yourself. You think you're in Christ. You think you're following Jesus. But if all you do is listen to the word and you never apply the word, you're fake. You're phony. And you've even fooled yourself. So here Paul says, now there, here's the shift. Now this is what you're called to. This is the degree that you have to be looking towards is that you present yourself. That word present is a word that was used of the priest that came and they presented a sacrifice or an offering up to the Lord. Literally the word means in the Greek something that is presented or yielded or surrendered over. Are you in this place where you're ready to surrender, yield over? And what I love about this word is that it is in the definitive tense. It means that this is a once and for all act. That you come and you lay yourself down not to take yourself up again. That you don't put one foot in and say, okay, I'm going to walk with the Lord for a little while. And then you go back to living the life that you were comfortable living before. No, this is a once and for all act that you present yourself to God in this way. The fact of the matter is, for many, many, many years, many of us have been presenting ourselves to all of the wrong things. Romans chapter 6 says this, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? You're presenting yourself to sin. You're yielding yourself, surrendering to sin, many of you in this room. Paul says, stop yielding yourself to sin. Stop surrendering to sin. Submit yourself to God. Offer yourself up to him. Present yourself to him. Titus chapter 3 says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. That was the old man. But Paul would say this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Someone who understands doctrine. 
Someone who understands scripture. This is why we're such sticklers. This is why we spend so much time taking you through the word on Sundays. This is why we have life groups that are open. This is why we have Awana available for your children because we believe that you cannot apply what you do not know. And if you do not know it, that's our fault. If you do not apply it, that is your fault and yours alone. Will you take what you're hearing and put it into practice? See, it says you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. On the outside, really, these bodies are mostly neutral. This body is going to do what I call it to do, what my personality, my spirit, what I lead it to do. Just like my lips are an indicator of my heart, my body is an indicator of where I'm at spiritually. There are spiritual implications that are tied to how you handle your body, the things that you subject your body to, even things like diet. And maybe this is going to be convicting for some of you, right? But you have to pay very careful attention to some things because, again, this body is supposed to be offered up as a living sacrifice. This is a moment where you come and you say, this body is not my own, it belongs to you, Lord. We present ourselves as a living sacrifice. There's a war right now, even in this moment, that is being waged over your flesh. The enemy does not want you to yield your body to Jesus. And if he can win, if he can capture your body, your flesh, then he's captured your spirit. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 5, I'll just read it to you. He says this, I say walk by the spirit so that you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For the ears are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he gives this long list of the works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. That there's a war. You're like being used as a tug of war right now. Your arms are being spread and the enemy's trying to pull you towards the lust of the flesh and the Lord wants to pull you to the fruits of the Spirit, right? And this is why we're participating in a corporate fast because if we deny our flesh, we're saying, I'm not listening to that enemy trying to pull me or lead me astray any longer, but I'm surrendering to the Spirit. Do you see the power in that? Right? Now, after Paul contrast the fruits of the spirit versus the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, this is what he says there. He says in verse 24 of Galatians chapter 5, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. And so very pointedly today, the question I ask for you is if you're still living after the desires of the flesh, do you really know Christ? If sin is still ruling over your heart, have you really truly had an encounter with the Lord? Have you really truly surrendered your body? If your actions haven't changed, why haven't they changed? If you're still living after the flesh, why aren't you living after the things of the Spirit? Do you worship the Lord with your spirit? This is what it says, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's within you? That this body is a vessel for God. Just as there was a temple where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in Old Testament days, there was a tabernacle before that temple. And even so today, the Shekinah, the glory of God resides within the believer. In this temple, 
right? Don't you understand that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The scripture says that you were purchased with the blood of the lamb without spot or blemish, the blood of Jesus himself. That was the price to purchase your body. Right? And again, there's this stewardship issue that each of us have to really struggle with in life when it comes to simple things like our diet, what we're putting into our bodies, how much rest we're getting, how stressed we're getting. Right? Because there is a spiritual implication to how we care for this vessel. This belongs to the Lord. Am I going to treat it like it belongs to the Lord? Do I want this body to be as useful for the Lord as possible? If I do, if I'm really offering myself, my body to the Lord, then I want this body to be healthy so he can get glory from it. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977